All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 320. Jason Lindgren is with me and Lauren Mones. And we are going to be talking about fermented foods. Did you know that the United States is one of the few countries, actually, I don't know if that few thing is true, but one of the countries that absolutely has zero fermented foods in what we typically use. And there are plenty of countries, many of them Asian, who have staple items that make up what they eat that are fermented. And the health, I mean, it's beyond classifying fermented foods as a superfood. It goes so far beyond that, that we're even starting to talk about alchemy and the natural processes of of nature. So it's kind of goes well beyond the idea of just super nutrition and, and that kind of thing. So we're going to get into uh, fermented foods with a lady called the Fermenting Fairy. Her website is fermentingfairy.com, and she will be one of the few that I have selected to sponsor under every episode uh, on Crow Triple Seven Radio so that you can get her products. That's how important this is. Welcome, Jason. And a very windy good morning. You guys got the wind, huh? We're we're like finally at 80 degrees here. About time. So we're going to jump in here? Yeah. All right. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much. I'm very honored to be here. Huge fan of you guys. We're glad to have you. And, you know, you sent me a box of your products. My wife got all over it um, and I tried it and it was just like all at once. I was thinking, how did we get so far away from what's normal and what's good. As a matter of fact, as you and I were speaking offline in this country, they've done everything they can to make sure that you eat low vibrational dead food food, and just pasteurization alone proves it. Um, go ahead and try to get some living food. If you're not getting lettuce, I don't know how you do it these days. Everything is just cooked to death. Um, but let's jump in. Um, good friend of mine contacted you. Uh, I know so many people suffering from Crohn's disease, but as it turns out, you once had this incurable disease. And if I follow, you no longer have it. Yep. That's correct. Yeah. Well, you know that, and that happened about seven years ago when I was told that I had this lifelong incurable disease. And that's really like the meat of my story, but but it's it's crucial that I take you back to the day I was born because for me and for all of us, the process of birth um, really sets us up for the rest of our life in terms of optimal health and, and optimal gut health specifically. Uh, for me, I was a C-section baby. I was also formula fed. Um, so it's important to recognize that the first three months of a baby's life and the first three years of a baby's life lays the foundation for the gut and the immune system and for all other systems in the body to work in an optimal systematic way. So I was a C-section baby. And so what that did for me was my, the first, so we're born fairly sterile in our microbiome. And as I was pulled out of my, my mother's abdomen, I absorbed her skin microbes. I absorbed the microbes from the instruments used at the hospital. I was also taking in the hospital microbes. I was taking in the microbes from the skin of the nurses and the doctors. So as opposed to a vaginal birth, which is you know a baby moves down the birth canal and is washed and bathed in very healthy microbes. And that's 
really the first time that we're introduced to these microorganisms. And the microorganisms that are in the vaginal canal are very similar to the ones that are in our gut. And so that lays the foundation for a baby's microbiome, as opposed to the microbes that are on the skin of my mother or in the hospital. Those are not similar and can be introduced in some pathogenic way because I don't have my my defense system up yet, right? I'm a, a baby just born. So that really laid somewhat of a foundation. And also 44 years ago when I was born, um, I was formula fed. And at that time, formula food was not uh, inoculated with certain microorganisms, namely bifidum infantis, which is the main uh, microbe in breast milk. That also, I was not given that kind of inoculation for my microbiome. And the first three months is when the baby's immune system and, and microbiome are getting strong, right? They're getting fortified. And the first three years is critical for diversification of the microbiome because diversity is really the name of the game when it comes to gut health. So I had neither. Now, this is not to say that if you're a C-section baby and a formula-fed baby that you're doom and gloom for the rest of your life. That's not how it is. And I'm certainly not shaming anyone that does that. Um, However, for me, it's an important part of my story because I was not supported in other ways in terms of food and playing in the dirt and that kind of thing. I happened to be a very colicky baby. I was uncomfortable. I was moving a lot. I, I cried a lot. So obviously, I was in, uncomfortable in my body, probably had a lot of digestive distress. When I was a young girl, I had chronic UTIs. So every three or four months, I remember uh, UTIs, urinary tract infection, Every three or four months, I remember having a UTI and having to be on antibiotics. And it was the antibiotics that I loved. Uh, I was, you you probably are aware, and your listeners probably have taken some of this, but it's the pink amoxicillin that's like a bubblegum flavor. I loved it, you know, and thanks to the food scientists and big pharma for making a medication that is really somewhat deadly, um, to taste amazing and for kids to actually want it and crave it. So I remember like, oh, having a UTI was no big deal because I get to have that medication. So I was loaded with antibiotics when I was young. It's important to also note that my family is very much um, integrated into Western medicine. Um, My mom any kind of symptom she has, she's got a medication for it. My dad is a GI doctor, believe it or not, and has a daughter who has Crohn's. So it's kind of ironic in in that sense. But we had medication like it was candy. My dad would bring home flu shots, you know, and just kind of jab our arms. It was like no big deal. So germ theory to the max, you know, when I was growing up. And that all plays a role in what happened to me seven years ago. Did you guys have any ill effects from those? since you were getting them so often, just out of curiosity? You know, I don't, I don't remember, but it was just, they were recurring. So I think it just fed more infection. I was also a very picky eater. Like I would focus on one thing and I would eat it only, like I would only eat that thing for six months. And that has a lot to do 
with the limitation and the diversity of my gut. So in my 20s, that's when I started having serious gut issues. I would have like once or twice a year, I would have these serious bouts of diarrhea. I hope this isn't t- TMI for you guys, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean pe- people go through this stuff. Go, go ahead. Don't don't worry about that. It is what it is. It's nature. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So yeah, in my twenties, once or twice a year, I'd have several weeks of really intense diarrhea, and to the point where I'd have to take off of work, and uh, I just would have to stay home. And I would go to the doctor. They would do stool tests and everything would come back normal. I didn't have candida. I didn't have parasites. I didn't have any serious pathogen. So it was just kind of brushed off as a virus or maybe I ate something that was bad. So just like rest. So, and it would always go away. So I thought, okay, no big deal. Um, And that was throughout my twenties. And then in, when I was about 30, I moved across the country to California, Um, grew up in New York, moved across the country to California, had no job, didn't know a single soul here. But it was my way of like liberating myself from my family. Um, As much as I love them, I have a great relationship with them. um, It was my first attempt to break free from them and everything that was sort of placed upon me. And, And looking back, that was really the time where... I started questioning why I've always been so sick in my life. Um, Because in the beginning of my 30s, once I moved out to California, I was thriving. You know, I was no longer feeling sick in my body. I was thriving. I was a full-time occupational therapist. Um, I was racing triathlons. So like a typical day for me was getting up early in the morning, riding my bike for 40 miles, and then working eight hours, coming home from work and running a 10-mile, you know, going on a 10-mile run. That was a typical day for me. I was eating well. I was married. I was um, about to marry the person that I loved back then. Um, So seemingly my life was was amazing. And I was healthy. And according to people, my friends, I was uber healthy. And then like my mid thirties, I, it was, it seemed like an overnight slap in the face. Um, I started having diarrhea again. So I'm guessing this is going to be related to the onset of Crohn's. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So let me, let me make, I want to pull us back in and get to this because I know a lot of people that probably have Crohn's. I know tons of people are going to benefit from us zeroing in on that in the first hour, but it's interesting. You're the second person recently that's come on to talk about how important the microbiome of being birthed through the birth canal is. And what's always been odd to me, and I need to take time to look it up, but why is it a cesarean? Why is there a Caesar idea connected to a C-section? I know Caesarea is a place, but it's got to be related to Caesar in some way. The word's right there in it. But let's come back around to the point where you know you've got Crohn's because I'm guessing from that point is when you buckle down to figure out what can be done. Yeah. So I, well, I I didn't know I had Crohn's yet, um, but I, I got increasingly more and more sick and I was having diarrhea at least 20 times a day. I couldn't leave my house. I lost an incredible amount of weight. Um, my heart felt like it was leaping out of my chest. I had lots of pain and I would go see doctors and my blood work was not terrible, but it wasn't normal. And I wasn't getting any answers. I went to 
allopathic, homeopathic, you know, naturopathic, everything. I went to see everyone. And everyone just kept telling me to rest. You know, I was training too hard, uh, rest, 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 and that wouldn't do anything. So, so I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, and what I was told was that Crohn's disease was an autoimmune disease. And when I did the research, when I went home, I was also put on very heavy medication, uh, heavy steroids and heavy immune suppressors. When I did the research of Crohn's, the word that just kept coming up was inflammation. It's chronic inflammation of the gut. So I thought, okay, well, what do I do to target inflammation? How? Because really in the end, everything is inflammation. So how do I heal inflammation? And I uh, got a book, changed my diet completely. It was a book that um, really focused on anti-inflammatory foods. And in this 600-page book was a tiny paragraph that said, fermented foods could be good for autoimmune diseases and for inflammation. There we go. Now we're getting to it. So a little tiny paragraph. And that just stood out to me. I don't know. I didn't absorb anything else in this book, but that. And so I went to my local health food store and I got a jar of sauerkraut. And, you know, growing up as a New Yorker, sauerkraut was always like this ooey gooey, slop of stuff. And, but this, this was very different. I took my first bite of sauerkraut and I just felt this rush. It was like this awakening in my body. I felt energized. I felt good. And so I was scared to take another bite, but the next day I added more to my diet. And again, I felt really good. And I, and my stool was changing. I was actually getting formed stool. That quickly, that quickly. Within two days. And and I'm not going to say normal stool, but it was definitely more formed than what I had before. So, so you, I mean, at this point, you know, you're on the right track, right? You, you're starting to put together my body's desperate for something and look how quickly I'm noticing the effects here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I looked into, I was like, what is going on? Like, what is in this? I knew nothing about fermented foods by then. What is sauerkraut? So I, I started doing this research And I'm like, okay, so I'm ingesting microorganisms, these things that I've always tried to kill for my most of my life, and now they're helping me. So that was my journey. I I said, this is it. You know, I started teaching myself. I watched YouTube videos, read books. I started fermenting at home. And then I realized this is time to get off my medication throughout my meds and just went full force, full throttle into fermented foods, doing them at home, creating all these wonderful recipes. It was life-changing, not just in a physical way, but in a very spiritual way, because here's a, a world that's unseen, untouched. You can't smell it, can't touch it. And they're saving my life. They're changing my life, you know? What about kombucha? Is that a ferment? Because I I did that once upon a time. Uh, Is that a fermentation process? Because you're giving it sugar in those, I don't know if they look like mushrooms. Is kombucha part of fermented food? Sure. Yeah. Kombucha is, yeah, it's, it's a fermented drink. It's a fermented tea. So it's either black tea or green tea. You can also do herbal teas and you feed the tea sugar. And you also have this little pancake thing that's on top, which is a symbiotic community of bacteria and yeast. They eat the sugars and they transform the tea into this bubbly, effervescent, um, bacteria-laden, yeast-laden drink. 
so here's here's the story. I was with a guy that wanted me to do kombucha. I was a roadie at the time, and he was doing you know those mushroom looking things you just described. And we went to the store to get the glass to go do it, so I could do it at my home in East County. And we bumped into two older people, probably just about seventy in the checkout. Um, the the wife says, "Oh, I've been doing kombucha, and it's so great." And the guy that's with me looks over at the husband. He's not looking so good, and he says, "Sir, do you use the kombucha?" And he says, "No, I." Ain't it. Um, and it, you know, that's when it dawned on me. There's really quite a difference between looking at these people and this lady sitting here telling me she drinks kombucha every day. Um, but anyhow, go ahead. Yes, yes, absolutely. There certainly is like the, the issue with kombucha is that in this country, because there's not a heavy foundation, like you were mentioning crow of like other ancient kombucha is an ancient ferment, but other ferments that's really a staple that people who aren't familiar with fermented foods, they think kombucha is the end all be all, but that's far from the truth because um, there are hundreds of other ferments. And it's also, there's a hierarchy in my mind of really healthy medicinal ferments, as opposed to, eh, it's like, it's a, it's better than soda. Let's just say that it's better than like a juice. Which you're providing, by the way, people go to fermentingfairy.com and look, these are like lemonade you sent to me and my wife grabbed on that. She loves the coconut one, but let, let's, let's point something out about the ancient cultures who still held on to their fermenting tradition, which America never had. What America did was they began to pasteurize. Oh, your cheese can't be alive. Oh, your milk can't be alive. If you get anything alive, you'll probably die. And all this nonsense that came with the Rockefeller medicine system. You go to a place like Japan where I live, you've got your miso. Has anyone out there ever gone into a good Japanese restaurant? The moment you take that first sip of miso, you just feel better. And by the way, for those who would do it at home, which is easy to do in the modern era, never boil it. You boil it, you kill it. What about soy sauce? These are staples, and there are so many more in Japan and in Korea, where I also did work as a roadie and was there as a U.S. Marine during the Gulf War. Kimchi is such a staple that it is labeled as the staple food of the entire country. It is commonplace for two refrigerators in every household because kimchi has a scent. And before that, before the modern generation, everybody had these big barrels that were buried in the ground to ferment. So these countries have had this healthy staple in their diet. And this is why I'm so impressed with you, Lauren. We don't have any of it. We don't have one condiment that I can, I mean, the closest we ever come is what you were explaining. You might get on your hot dog in New York city, which almost doesn't count. I think. No, it doesn't. That is as dead as dead is, <laughs> but it, people don't realize that beer, wine, those are all ferment. Cheese is fermented. Pickles are fermented. So most likely everyone listening to the show has had something fermented, but just didn't really know it. Alive and fermented? I would ask if I go get pickles, those are fermented, but isn't that also pasteurized? Well, there's a different way to make pickles. And, and that's a really good point because most pickles that are commercial on the market are pasteurized or they're doused in a vinegar solution, which to me kills the bacteria anyway. Um, it's just way too acidic for anything to survive in that. So that's called pickling. And that is not what I'm talking about when I say fermented. What I'm talking about is a lacto-fermentation, very different than pickling. Lacto-fermentation is using the naturally occurring um, bacteria that's already on the fruit or the vegetable. 
Um, another word for that is wild fermentation. And so you're not, so basically you're me, the, the person who's fermenting is not making the environment. Like I'm not adding vinegar that would be saying, okay, here's vinegar. I'm going to make this thing transform. Um, but it's transforming because of the vinegar, not because of the bacteria. So that's why pickles that are lacto-fermented or wild-fermented without vinegar or sugar are way healthier. I mean, that's when you're going to get like the health benefits. Well, I would, I would ask. So if you took America, Canada, and let's just say the UK, uh, average people who might be tuned in to what we're doing here, how many of those people might have ever, in the course of normal supermarket shopping, ever eaten a live ferment in, in the things that we eat? you think that's possible? I'm not talking pickling at home. I'm talking, I went to the supermarket, I got my pickles. Um, I went to the supermarket, I got my sauerkraut. Is there any chance that they ever ate anything that was fermented and still alive? No, no. I mean, the majority of people, no. Right. Um, and, and that's largely because it's deemed dangerous food. Even the FDA, like when I first started fermenting fairy um, in California, you can start a food company at home if it's under $50,000 revenue. Uh, however, however, there's a list of dangerous foods that you need a commercial kitchen for. And fermented foods, of course, is one of them. But the ironic thing is if you eat a salad and you eat sauerkraut, well, which one's going to be safer? The sauerkraut, because it's loaded with healthy bacteria. We should do what we can to dispel the, the fear that, you, you know, that they've been pouring on us. Consider yes. this. Everything in the world has a vibration rate. If you've listened to this show for very long, you've heard it a lot of times. Do you suppose eating something dead's vibration rate or eating something alive's vibration rate, which two of those things has a higher vibration rate? And by the way, just by common sense, if I eat something dead, what will that contribute to me as a living being? Or if I eat something that's still alive, this is the entirety of the foundation of the Gerson method, by the way, um, we're ingesting things that still have life in them. So that's, that's what I want to say so that people understand why fermentation is such a big deal and has been ancient custom in so many places. Mm -hmm. And it starts with the soil. It starts with the soil. And that's why we're such an unhealthy culture here because our soil is dead. It's dead. There's, there's like not many living things in it because it's just, it's glyphosated out. You know, there's so much pesticide and herbicides being used. Um, even organic produce, unfortunately has some traces of that, but at least with organic, you're getting, you know, a regenerative, healthy soil, more or less. And so, you know, if you do choose a fermented food, it's got to be organic. There's so many even health fermented foods that are not organic, and I wouldn't even go near them. So that's important to note. So I want to get Jason in here, but we're like burning up hour one. And I want to get into hour one, this Crohn's idea. I know certainly so many people that have suffering or are suffering because you're told this is lifelong here. Take these drugs for the rest of your life. You can't, you can't undo Crohn's is what you're told. And you're living proof that that's not true. I've got a friend that's contacted you. Who's going to go the route you did. How did you deal with Crohn's specifically? We need to get it into hour one. So people can maybe get some relief up in this. Yeah. So here's the thing, like when I made sense, when I researched Crohn's, the word inflammation kept coming up. 
So I thought to myself, why is inflammation a lifelong chronic disease? It just doesn't make sense. I broke my elbow once. That was inflammation. I had a headache once. That's inflammation. I've gotten rid of inflammation before. So I thought, well, I can get rid of this inflammation. And and so it was really changing my belief, letting go of all the doctor's beliefs because they placed that on me and they labeled me incorrectly, by the way. And I had to really come into my own belief system of trusting my own body. And it's, again, like I I said, Crohn's is thought to be an an autoimmune disease, but I'm going to argue that because it might be that the immune system gets activated um, during a flare but that's only because let's let's ask the question why that immune system gets activated and that is because there's dysbiosis in the microbiome there's a lack of diversity and there's also a leaky gut okay so instead of suppressing the immune system like they do they give us uh, immune suppressors instead of doing that why don't we help people um, diversify their microbiome and heal heal their lucky, leaky gut, and then we won't have an activated immune system. So if I'm hearing you properly, you would better describe Crohn's. By the way, there's an old people's idea in that name. Isn't there an old crone? You know, that's, that's <laughs> an old person. Um, so many young people have Crohn's, but if I'm hearing you, inflammation and then leaking in the gut is basically the issue at hand. Correct. Okay. Correct. So how do you, how do you get nuts and bolts here? How do you address it? Well, you address it by first and foremost, diversifying your gut. What that means is, so I I like to give this image of a chessboard. So you have the black and white squares, that's your microbiome. Then you have on one side, 16 players and on the other side, 16 players. So a healthy microbiome, a healthy microbiome will have all 16 players on the probiotic side, and it'll have like three or four players on the other pathogenic side. That's a healthy microbiome. Most of us are walking around with the flip. We've got 16 players on the pathogen side. We've got a few players on the good side, right? So what we need to do is flip that and get back to the ratio that we were hopefully born with. Um, And that is get as many different diverse bacteria, microorganisms, fungi, yeast, in our gut as much as possible. So you do that by eating wild fermented foods. That's first and foremost, super important. Going into nature, getting into as many different ecosystems as possible, hiking in the forest, swimming in the ocean, uh, you know, going to the desert, breathing in different air, um, you know, environments, you know, getting the sun, walking barefoot in the earth, the grass. It's really getting back to nature, um, eating organic food. Isn't this truly about, I mean, you could think of it in this way, uh, back before the civil ideas took over the United States, if you're on a farm, you milked a cow, you drank the milk. That's alive. Exactly. Or a sheep or a goat. But what's even more is all the cheeses. And what's even more, so people don't even, so many people don't know this. Apples were a big damn deal in this country. Uh, at the turn of the 1900s, the number of apple varieties blow your darn mind. But part of that apple was made into cider. And by proxy, some of it went to hard cider. Now, there's a step in between where there's fermented cider that's not necessarily very alcoholic yet. That used to be sold everywhere, even up into my childhood in the state of Rhode Island. When my father died, the last place 
fresh pressing the cider and selling live cider was forced to shut down and pasteurize. Mm. So if you start to compare the last 50 years where sickness and ideas of cancer and all these things have come to the fore, I think Crohn's disease would fit in this window. Um, this is really what, you know, it's nature. Can you do better than nature? No, you can't. You can't do better than nature. So as you're getting back to it, um, let's talk about, so did you actually develop some of your products with Crohn's disease in mind? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so everything that I have on the market right now, except the applesauce, our, our fermented applesauce is our newest product, but everything else, the sauerkraut lemonade and the kefir were made specifically for me. I was healing my body. I, you know, I got off my medication and I needed, this was like my medication. So I, I made all of my products for myself for several years. And that's when I was healing myself. And that's when I, you know, I, I, I said, oh my God, I'm really onto something. And I started my company then. So, so everything that's on the market was for me specifically to heal my, the inflammation. So let me sum up. S seven years ago, you get diagnosed with Crohn's. How long is it from that diagnosis day uh, going forward in time until you feel like you're no longer suffering from what you describe as inflammation and as a leaky gut? I would say it took from the time I got off. Oh, so I, I was diagnosed, got off my medication within four months. Um, and, and then from that time, it took about two years where I was really thriving and, and knowing that I have nothing left in my body that was ill. So I, I don't want people to 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 have this image of like the fermented food saved me and it was an easy road. It was not an easy road. I was up and down. I, there were times I wanted to run to the hospital. There was time I wanted to get back on the medication. There were times where I thought I was going to die alone in my house, you know. But I just kept having faith. I kept having faith. I knew I to trust my body. So it was not an easy road for the first like one to two years, but the more I trusted, the more I could just let go of having this tie to, to the illness um, because I was emotionally tied to it too. I don't know if we want to get into that, but. Well, I want to try to stick to the things that, you know, you're providing a thing that's unique, which is why I'm going to link to your products to introduce the idea of ferment, fermented foods and how important they are because other countries have had them all along and they know what we never caught on to and then fell for the pasteurize and kill everything. You know, heat it up till it's dead. Now you can eat. Um, that's the ideas that go on here. Um, I'm going to get Jason in here, but on your website, do you have um, do you have pages that directly address the pushback on Crohn's in your personal effort? I don't. Nope. Then we need to do that here. Jason, you want to jump in? So I guess it's uh, safe to say that the mainstream media says that Crohn's is incurable. Correct. Correct. So taking that, you prove that very quickly that that is completely and utterly untrue, right? Correct. Yep. So what do you think these brilliant, degreed medical professionals are totally missing here? Well, I mean, they're... The basic description seems to be missed, right? You came along and described it as inflammation in a leaky gut. Does that match with what Western medicine would describe it? No, it's it's thought of as an autoimmune disease, which is described by Western medicine as the body attacking its own tissues. But they fail to get at the root cause of why the body is not, I say it's not recognizing itself, not attacking. They fail to get at the root cause of it because again, like 
microorganisms are deemed dangerous. Like we need to kill them. Even my own family, I have several doctors in my family. They haven't once had my products. Why? Because it has live, I'm, I'm being honest and serious. They don't touch my products. They're doctors. They don't touch my products, my sister, my dad. Integrated into the death system, right? Those, those yeah. things, those li- that life can kill you, just like walking out into the world and being next to another living man or woman that can kill you. You know what? I'll, I'll offer you something here. Um, the old alchemists and natural science, the latest one I've been telling people to read is called uh, George Carey. I think George W. Carey. Um, and go get his book, The Antichrist. It'll help you in the way you're going here. Now, here's what they're going to say. They're going to say that all disease, the basis for all disease is inflammation. That's the claim they were making over 100 years ago. They will further say, which also bolsters exactly what you were doing, that it is impossible to cure, and they always write dis-ease, hyphenated, always they write it that way. It is impossible to cure dis-ease unless you put things back in the body that were building blocks of the body to to begin with. In other words, foods that would naturally be eaten to build the body, cell salts because they're naturally in the body, these ideas. And what I just said of those old masters underscores the importance of everything you're doing. Um, Once again, I'll say it for the fifth time in recent shows, Dr. George W. Carey, The Antichrist, read that book if you want a different view. But that was one of the things that latched me on to what you were doing here because you, just an average person in the world, had it within you to say, wait a minute, immune system attacking itself? What's going on here is inflammation. Um, so how is it you know, that someone like you could get unbuffaloed from all this mumbus jumbus that gets thrown around. And by the way, in the course of this conversation, we've said immune system. There are going to be a ton of people here who don't accept that that's even a thing. Pathogen, that's another problematic thing uh, based on the on the people we've talked to. But Jason, jump in and dial us in to, while we've still got some hour one, specifically what people with Crohn's can do, if there's things they can eat, products they can get, places they can go for information. Let's try to get that all in this hour. Absolutely. So let's go through the steps that uh, you used. So you you discovered right away, uh, pretty much first day, first bite, like, hey, something good is going on here. What were the actual steps you used and uh, what foods and what is it that you offer that uh, people could use, uh, obviously, because your products didn't exist yet, to try and get over this insane thing that is uh, very likely caused by a lot of the uh, nasty pharmaceuticals they want to shoot everybody up with these days. Mm. Yeah, so there's there's two two things I want to talk about. One is it's important to uh, look at and 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 consume wild fermentation, so wild fermented foods. And I alluded a little bit to this before, but what's commercially available right now is not going to be medicinal. Most of it is not going to be medicinal. You're going to spend a lot of money on, uh, let's just say a kombucha or a sauerkraut, you'll spend money on it or even a probiotic supplement for that matter. And, but it's, it's not a wild fermentation. It's more of a controlled fermentation. What they're doing now, these companies are basically putting in one strain of like a spore-based bacteria. Usually it's bacillus coagulin and they're calling it a fermented food. 
but it never went through the fermentation process. Um, and so you have to be very particular with what you're choosing and make sure it's a wild fermentation. What is a wild fermentation? Please define what is a wild fermentation. Sure. So a wild fermentation is, and I'm going to explain it very simply. So you take a head of, I'm going to talk about sauerkraut. You take a head of cabbage that's grown in organic soil. That cabbage already has microorganisms on it because the soil has trillions of bacteria in it, healthy soil. And so when you chop up that cabbage that already has microorganisms on it, and then you submerge it underwater or under its own juices, so you take away oxygen, so it's an anaerobic process, then those bacteria, those microorganisms that are already present from nature, multiply into the billions and trillions, and then they change the environment to produce a food that becomes now sauerkraut. Love it. You just described food alchemy. Exactly. <laughs> not by me, by their microbes. I am not doing a thing except giving them what they need, which is no oxygen, and they do the rest. As opposed to yogurt, let's take yogurt, for example. Yogurt is an easy thing for pe people to connect to. Yogurt is a controlled fermentation. It's not wild, okay? So what a person, well, centuries ago, yogurt could have been a wild fermentation. Nowadays, it's not. What a yogurt maker does now commercially is they take freeze-dried bacteria that's already powdered, it's dead. They dump it into the milk and then, you know, with some heat, it comes back to life. But you might as well just take a probiotic supplement and then why are you even going to do that? Because it's not going to do anything. That's not to say yogurt doesn't have health benefits, but it's not going to be the thing that you take when you have inflammation that's going to make you feel better. Well, so some of the yogurt, like my, my, my mother was doing this. She bought these little cups of like, you know, some flavored yogurt. And I thought, well, at least she's eating yogurt. And then when it started getting critical around here and I had to start feeding every meal, I started looking at everything carefully and taking the idea that, yeah, I know you like this, but now we got to get things that are helpful around here. And I read and I started to think you can't even really legitimately call this yogurt. What this would be closer to is maybe ice cream <laughs> or oh, something gosh. like this, because it's, it's certainly not alive. Look at the sugar level and it's flavored. So that's a good example because a lot of people think just because they read yogurt, but I'm telling you like a Chobani or these other ones, go read how much damn sugar and then try to determine if there's a shred of life in there. Oh, it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. That's why everybody asked me to make yogurt. I say, absolutely not because kefir, milk kefir is the is to me the highest form of any kind, you know, aside from the miso and, you know, the Japanese style ferments, kefir really is the highest form of fermented food because it is a wild fermentation. What, what, you, hold, hold on there. Let's define it. So people understand okay. what is kefir? It's spelled K-E-F-I-R, kefir. Right. Yep. Yep. And, it, and there's either a milk kefir or there's a water kefir. So what I'm going to talk about is milk kefir. That really is the, the highest um, in terms of health benefits. And what kefir is, it's, it's a fermented milk and you can ferment any milk. You can do cow's milk, goat milk, almond milk, coconut milk, whatever milk you want. But the real kefir, the real ancient kefir comes from these 
kefir grains, which look like little curds, um, and they're, they're communities of bacteria and yeast. And very specific, though, very, very specific. So you cannot take those and put them in any other food. They are specific to kefir, making kefir. And this is a wild fermentation. A lot of people confuse kefir and yogurt. It's like saying ocean and forest, completely different. The other thing is a lot of yogurt companies are now jumping on the kefir bandwagon because they know how healthy it is. To mislabel, you mean? <laughs> to mislabel. They're calling their drinkable yogurts kefir. So watch out for that. It's not true. And it's not, it's not proper labeling. It's, it's misinformation. All right. We got to get on the bandwagon, stay on this track. We've got a little bit time, like 10 minutes left before we got to start wrapping up. Let's take it from the time you changed your diet because you know you have Crohn's disease. Let's just quickly lay down foods and processes that got you where you are and get people at least a path they can start to look for. Yeah. So um, wild fermentation, really important. Start consuming that every day um, and start slowly. Also, another really important thing is to like let go of any labeling that was put onto you so that it's an emotional tie that we never consented to. So start to let go. You can heal everything. Your body is innately intelligent. Very that was cool. a big process for me is the emotional piece to it. Other things, you know, there are a few supplements that are really good. Such as? L-glutamine, really, really good. L-glutamine is an amino acid that helps to coat the lining of the gut. And so if you have a leaky gut, it helps to produce a little bit of a mucus layer. Aloe vera juice is very healing. It's nice and cooling to the body when there's a, a heated inf inflammatory response. Also eating an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, there's certain things like nightshade veggies that can cause an immune response. What are nightshade veggies? Is it, isn't like potato a nightshade veggie? Yeah, white potato, not a sweet potato, but a white potato. Now, white potatoes tend to be tall, like they, people can tolerate those even when they have an autoimmune disease. So that's one thing you have to, to play with. But but the tomatoes, the peppers, the hot peppers, the sweet peppers, bell peppers, even things like ashwagandha, those are all nightshades. Eggplant is a nightshade. So that can cause an autoimmune response and that can be highly inflammatory for people. So you're saying those things are not beneficial for someone with Crohn's? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. What, what are, let's, let's go back around the corner. What are the best? We're, we're running out of time. And I want to get as much into the open hour that everyone can get out as we can. What are the best things um, for someone who wants to deal with Crohn's, which is basically epidemic in our society at this point? Well, again, the wild fermented foods and the supplements that I mentioned um, in terms of food, you want to, I'm, I'm a proponent of eating uh, high quality red meat. That was very healing for my body. I was a vegetarian when I was diagnosed with Crohn's um, and I started eating high quality uh, grass-fed, grass-finished beef and that was very healing. Cooked? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Cooked. Yep. Okay. Raw dairy can be helpful. Not dairy, not the pasteurized dairy. That's, that's highly inflammatory. 
but a raw dairy has a lot of enzymes, a lot of good proteins in it. I personally didn't do that in the beginning of my journey, but I, I have done it since that, and it's been very healing for my body. Um, I would definitely recommend staying away from gluten for until you heal your leaky gut, because gluten can create an opening in the in the wall of the of the GI tract. It can lend itself to a leaky gut. It can create that. And what's the deal with gluten, by the way, if we could do it quickly? People have been making and eating bread for thousands of years, and all of a sudden in the 20th and 21st century, people have a problem with gluten. And I'm wondering, what is that all about? Well, it's just how our wheat is grown. It's how our grains are grown. It's it's just laden, uh, doused in chemicals. And so there's that response. Like if you put chemicals into your body, you're going to have this response of it opening up to the rest of the body. You're going to have a leaky gut, which is detrimental to your health. So wouldn't it be actually more fair to say wheat in general or rice in general instead of just gluten? Yeah. I mean, grains in general, for sure. Like what I did is I, I, I stopped eating grains. I stopped eating dairy and I stopped eating nightshades. And I had a diet. I basically had a diet of cooked vegetables because I wasn't, I wasn't able to digest raw veggies, cooked vegetables, fermented foods, and also high quality meat. That was my diet and fish. Okay. So once you felt like you had it dialed in and you knew you were going to beat this, tell me your diet from the time you get up to the time you go to bed while we still got a few minutes left here. On a given day, what's the first thing you eat? What's your breakfast? Okay. So the first thing I do is I drink uh, hot water with lemon and then I have my kefir and I put that in a a smoothie with a green banana, greenish banana, because that is prebiotic. So you're feeding the bacteria a prebiotic with um, the kefir and a green banana. So that's my first meal. And now I'm able to eat gluten. So I have this wonderful local sourdough bread with uh, raw cheese. Okay. But wait a minute, back up before. So a lot of people aren't there yet. So give me the diet before you introduced back in the things that you found were problematic. So it was definitely the kefir and the green banana. That's been my, my breakfast for years now. And then it's hard to remember, but again, it was just very soft vegetables, uh, bone broth. I would have like kind of in the middle of the day. Um, I ate a lot of sweet potatoes, um, in very like different formations mashed. What about fruits? Are fruits part of this? Oh yeah. Fruits for sure. Yep. Fruits, but certain fruits like the um, berries with seeds in them, like strawberries or raspberries can be irritating to the gut. So I stuck with bananas, blueberries, apples. Apples are wonderful for a leaky gut. They have got the the fiber pectin, which is very healing for dysbiosis and leaky gut, which is why we came out with a fermented applesauce. So fruit, yeah, fruit is good, except just be careful of little seeds. So one thing that people have to realize when they're healing from a chronic inflammation disease or illness is that your diet is not going to be interesting for a long time. It's just, there's just not a lot you can eat that is going to be healing and cooling for your body. And so you have to give up having like good, interesting food. Unfortunately, it just you know, you have to go back to the elements, just go back to maybe even pureed food. I ate pureed food for the longest time. I would take cooked spinach and I would throw it in my blender and blend it up because I was just not digesting whole foods. 
So I, it, you go back to an elemental diet truly for, for a while, you know, months, it could be even a year. You have to be dedicated to this if you truly want to heal. This is not like eat healthy for a week and then have McDonald's for one day. No, you, you can't do that. That's, a, that's just a big no. You have to be super dedicated for a while and then you heal and then you can start introducing foods that you love and have a, a wonderful diet of eating basically anything you want. All right. So we're, we're coming into the top of the hour here. So Lauren's going to be in the comments section for the full episode and be able to answer questions. She's going to offer links as we wind up hour one and get ready to do hour two. I would point out that where we are uh, with so much access to so many things here in the age of the internet, things like kimchi, miso, soy sauce, they often down soy sauce saying that it's uh, way too much salt. I beg to differ. It's like anything else. If you pour a crap load of table salt on something, yeah, you had too much salt. Um, but soy sauce, if you and you got to pay attention to what you're buying, you got to get the real deal. Soy sauce is often one of the things. Like when you go to a Chinese food store and they give you those packets of soy sauce, it's not soy sauce. That's salty water dyed brown. You need soy sauce because it was actually manufactured in the way we're talking about. Many people, the first time they're exposed to kimchi, think, oh my God, I could never eat that. But I think 80% of the people I ever knew that tried it, it becomes one of the favorite foods. And these are available. Miso. The thing you need to know about miso is it is so easy to make miso soup. You get your little, it's not kelp, but it's the, you, you can look up the, the seaweed leaf that goes in with it. I've forgotten what it's called, kombu, kombu kelp. And you take the miso and read online how to do it. At no time do you let it come to a boil. Now, one of these times I'm going to do my spaghetti sauce recipe and I'm going to tell you the damn same thing. Uh, don't cook it to death. Don't let it come to a boil. Don't let it go over 212. Just don't because then you're killing things. So these common foods you can get a hold of. And if you go to fermentingfairy.com, my wife is head over heels for the coconut drink, the lemonade drink. There was an, an applesauce. There were all these things that you now have access to. Jason, anything you want to get in before we wrap up and prep up for hour two? Well, Lauren, give out all your contact info and do a quick rundown, at least on some of your products, so hour one folks can hear it. Uh, definitely mention the lemonade and whatever else you think is important. Okay, sure. So we have a coconut milk kefir. Um, it's a fermented coconut milk. We make our own coconut milk. So we're not buying coconut milk that has gums in it. We make it fresh. And that's a fermented coconut milk. It's so medicinal. And that is, that's my health insurance. That is, that is what healed me. Um, I also have my fermented lemonade. It's like a kombucha, but it's a wild fermentation of ginger. So it's got fermented ginger. So we also have a turmeric one. Uh, and that it's a bubbly, effervescent, wonderful drink. And then we have raw, unpasteurized sauerkraut. And we have my new one that's a fermented applesauce that's raw, unpasteurized, loaded with good fiber, pectin, and a lot of bacteria. And my contact, I'm happy to take emails, answer questions. You can write me at lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, at fermentingfairy.com. I'm on Instagram. I do a lot of education on Instagram, fermenting.fairy. Don't forget the dot because there's another fermenting fairy. So fermenting.fairy on Instagram and my website, fermentingfairy.com. All right, Lauren, thank you for that. We're going we're gonna to wrap up hour one of 320. And I'll tell you right now, Lauren, you're about to get an order for at least a case 
of the coconut. Uh, I am so all about coconut with the butter that I've used to combat dementia and with the experience we just had and the samples you sent for myself and my wife. So look for it. I'm going to be ordering quite an order of coconut product here pretty quick. That does bring episode 320 to a close. We hope to see you all for hour two in the membership area at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Lastly, I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and we hope to see you over at the website. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.